0: The last two cases were presented by Dr. Deutsch to Dr. Chesson, beginning with a young woman with a skin lesion.
1: So she's 27 years old. She had a small skin lesion, maybe the size of a quarter near her right axilla. She actually works for a dermatologist. So he initially treated with liquid nitrogen. It didn't go away. Then he gave her a bunch of different steroid preparations and told her to keep using the steroids and it would eventually go away, which it of course did not. And it got a little bigger. And then finally, she basically just made him do a biopsy of it. (laughs) So it was biopsied, and the biopsies here are sent to a sort of central dermatopathology lab, and they read this out as an a typical lymphoid population, perhaps a pseudolymphoma, perhaps lymphoma, but could not be any more specific than that. So I asked them to do a T-cell gene rearrangement study, which was done, and she does have a T-cell receptor gene rearrangement in the gamma chain. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for the T cell receptor to come back, she has the mass re-excised, but there's still some residual abnormality there and some induration there as well. So I think there's still something there. She had a PET scan that was negative. There's no palpable lymphadenopathy. There's no lymphadenopathy in her abdomen. She does have a lot of somatic complaints, was complaining about night sweats. And today, looking at her neck, looks like she has a goiter.
0: Hmm. Anything else you want to add to that?
1: No. She has no other skin lesions that we can find.
0: So, Bruce, what do you think is going on here? Well, it's not clear what's going on. I recommend that the sample be sent to Elaine Jaffe at NIH, who is a renowned expert in lymphoma pathology, because skin lesions, particularly when you're concerned about a T-cell lymphoma, can be very, very, very difficult to diagnose. And right now, all she's got is this one small area... Whether it's a lymphoma or not is unclear, and I would just watch it. Her symptoms, these sweat she's having and all this other stuff, I think are way out of proportion to what she may have on her arm and are more consistent with an endocrine problem. She's got a fairly substantially enlarged neck, and in fact, she also has what appears to be a buffalo hump. So we're working both of those up for a possible endocrinopathy. And, you know, maybe she's got thyroiditis and that's, you know, has some other autoimmune thing associated with it. Maybe that's related to the skin. I don't know. But right now I wouldn't do much of anything except observe her and work up her other problems. She's a bit anxious about having nothing done about it. But if she were to blossom another lesion, then I'd probably biopsy that and send that off as well. And it's hard to treat other than with topical steroids until you have a diagnosis. There are a lot of treatments for cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, targretin, bixaratine, PUVA, radiation, on and on, histone deacetylase inhibitors such as vorinostat, but you can't use any of those unless you've got the diagnosis. And right here, we have no diagnosis on the skin lesion, but it's probably going to progress because, as you heard, there is residual disease in that scar, but it's very small.
1: I guess my question in this and looking at the pathology is, I know that doing the T-septor gene rearrangement study was an important part of looking for lymphoma, but that doesn't seal the deal. It's a
0: little controversial. What it tells you is that you have a clonal population of cells. Does clonality necessarily mean it's cancer? It's not clear that it does. It certainly is strongly suggestive, but you know, you'd like some histopathology to go along with it before you say... Here you've got cancer, we're going to treat you as if you got it. She doesn't have much disease. It's not as if she had lots of plaques and lesions all over the place. I think it's safe to watch her. And fortunately, you're the one who's going to have to deal with her anxieties.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's an ongoing issue. <laughs> she's actually calmed down quite a bit. She used to just come to my office and sit in the waiting room until I would see her. But she's actually calmed down quite, quite a bit. And understands that this is going to take some time to sort out and that her pathology does need to go to an expert to be looked at. And then we decided that if, in fact, it does come back positive for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, that we would treat her with some type of topical product, not steroids, and she would continue to have skin surveillance, although probably best done not by her employer. (laughs)
0: Bruce, you mentioned new treatments for T-cell lymphoma. There are a couple of agents that are out there right now that are pretty new, romidepsin and Pralotrexate. Can you review what we know about those? Sure. Pralatrexate is a novel antifol that was developed primarily by Owen O'Connor in New York. And in his initial phase one trial of this drug, it appeared to be inactive in B-cell lymphomas, have slight activity in Hodgkin's lymphoma, but had a 51% response rate in T-cell lymphoma. Its biggest problem was mucositis. And when he administered large amounts of B12 and folic acid, it appeared to abrogate this problem somewhat but not completely. Recently, there has been the PROPEL trial, which was an international study, phase two, looking at pralatrexate in patients with relapsed refractory peripheral T-cell lymphoma. And now the response rate was around 28%. I'm sure it's patient selection issues and who's referred to a single institution versus referred to multiple centers. Nevertheless, the drug appears to have some utility. I suspect it's not being widely used yet because peripheral T-cell lymphomas account for less than 15% of non-Hodgkin's lymphomas in the U.S. And this is approved for the relapse setting. So first you got to get the lymphoma and then as almost all of them do, you have to relapse. The other drug, Depsipeptide or Romidepsin, which is the newer name, is a histone deacetylase inhibitor that was initially studied primarily at the NCI by Susan Bates, Steve Piercars, and their coworkers, and it has activity not only in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, but it also is another 25 to 30 percent or higher drug in peripheral T-cell lymphomas. So we have two new drugs out there, both of which are active, both of which are in the range of 25 to 30%, which is enough to create interest, but not enough to really get you out buying stock. There are other drugs that are active in this setting, although the data are relatively sparse, such as gemcitabine and bortezomib. So what's going on now? are combinations of these various drugs in an attempt to develop a regimen which is effective in the relapse setting and rapidly move it up front. In fact, we have been discussing an upfront study already of CHOP versus a combination, including one of these drugs, as the initial treatment for peripheral T-cell lymphoma so that we can get rid of CHOP once and for all because it gets a few brief responses that don't last very long. Have you used either one of these new agents, Bruce? I have used romidepsin a couple of times. I have not used pralotrexate yet. And patients have responded to romidepsin that I've treated, and they've tolerated it well, but the responses haven't lasted very long, at least in my couple of patients.
1: Is Campath active with T-cell lymphomas?
0: Campath is another drug which has activity in T-cell lymphoma. And in fact, there was a study of CHOP-alumtuzumab in patients with peripheral T-cell lymphoma that was recently presented. The results were interesting, but it was a relatively small number of patients with short follow-up. It's not a regimen I would encourage out of a clinical trial because we talked about the predilection for infections with alentuzumab, which would enhance the already increased risk in patients with T-cell lymphomas.